Hello and welcome to this week's Truth to Power Happy Hour with me, Justin Mogg, and friends from Forward Radio here on your community radio station. We are 106.5 FM live streaming to all of Louisville from the top of the historic Hayburn Building and live streaming to all of the world at forwardradio.org. We want you to go to that website and maybe you could be on this program or another one. Get behind the microphones or behind the scenes and get radioactive with us at Forward Radio. It is grassroots community media made for the people by the people. So if you've got an issue you're passionate about or a community you want to highlight or a part of our rich cultural heritage here in Louisville that you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you at forwardradio.org. Uh, what I hear on Truth to Power every week, what we do is we gather forward radio programmers and friends around the microphones for a, a lively discussion of you know, decompressing from the week we just went through. Uh, and joining me again in the virtual studio is our co-host, Hart Hagen, from The Climate Report. You can hear that show every day on this station at 7 p.m. Welcome, Hart. It's been a rough week on the climate, yeah. <laughs> as usual. Right. Also in the studio with us is Jeff Levy. Uh, he's working on a new program for us here on the station called Outbreak, the Science, Policy, and Treatment of Coronavirus. Good to have you back on the program, Jeff. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you. Also with us is Jeanette Westbrook again, former host of The Human Factor and our uh, resident social worker. Welcome, Jeanette. Hey, it's a pleasure, Justin. So, wow, this was another uh, amazing week in political history in the United States, for sure. And a lot of other things going on. I know uh, I've been hard, hardly able to stay up to business here. Uh, but I think one of the most monumental things that happened is that we finally got a reprieve from Trump's tweets. <laughs> Isn't it incredible? Did you ever think this day would come? <laughs> we certainly had the first president in history who's uh, in, in replaced press conferences and uh, formal, any kind of formal communications with uh, the, the public and the media, uh, replaced it completely with just random tweets from uh, the bathroom or wherever he was. And it all drove us crazy, I think, uh, that, that this was all we could get were these short little messages out of context, spreading a lot of misinformation and, and really fueling the misinformation fire, which has just raged across our nation in the last four years, right? Are you guys as exhausted as I am by all that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> speechless, exhausted, well, speechless. I mean, Trump is the best thing that ever happened to corporate media. I mean, they it made, made him a lot of money. It's like last moon vest, the uh, head of AB, was ABC or CBS said that uh, Trump was bad for America, but great for ABC. Mm. So that, that we, well, we have a, a corporate media uh, environment, which uh, described by, um, name is escaping Matt Taibbi he wrote the book hate Inc he talked about how you know back in the day back in the 50s and 60s um, news was geared toward the middle of the road but then in the 80s and 90s cable TV came along and Fox News discovered that it was really profitable to target a niche audience. Uh, MSNBC countered with a, you know, by capturing the other niche audience. So Fox News, the cable news of the Republicans, MSNBC, cable news 
of the Democrats, and you have this tribalism going on, and the business model model is literally for both sides to be addictive to their audience. Mm. Uh, and even, you know, New York Times is 87% Democrat, MSNBC is Democrat, they're keying into a niche audience, and they get people to hate each other. And that's not just me crying and me wanting everybody to love each other. It, it's a serious, it, it, it's like you have both sides having alternative facts. You know, one side has one set of facts on a particular story. The other side has another set of facts on a particular story. And um, it's like I, I can get in trouble because some of my best friends are, are mainstream Democrats. But I've seen a, a sort of bigotry toward, uh, you know, Trump voters. Mm. It's like if you want to hate Trump, fine. If you want to hate uh, Mitch McConnell, fine. But don't make up stereotypes about the people that vote for them. Um, but that's what's been going on. Yeah, I mean, clearly the just the fact that a, a group of Trump supporters would would be so convinced that Trump actually won the election that they're willing to storm the U.S. Capitol. To me, that screams of an alternate reality universe that they're living in of of. of of a misinformation universe and it's so it's hard for people on one side whether you know they're on informed progressive voters or you know trump voters whichever side you're on it's impossible to see the other's perspective because you're really living with a completely different set of facts right well i've been a bit ambivalent about the uh the election thing because on the one hand i have a family member who's very intelligent and uh, a Trump supporter identifies as uh, conservative who has been uh, concerned about the validity and legitimacy of the election results. Hmm. And the only reason I have not jumped on board with that is because I, I have only so much time, only so much energy. Plus, in my world, if I want to be con the people in my world that know about election integrity are Lee Camp and Greg Palast. And I'm not hearing any of them. You know, I'm not hearing them or Crystal Ball or Kyle Kalinske say anything about election integrity. And I don't know if it's because they just want to get rid of Trump or if it's because uh, the, there's nothing to it. I mean, I don't pretend to know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I've been really kind of uh, ambivalent. about. I know that both parties rig elections and Republicans rig elections to defeat Democrats and Democrats rig, election, rig primary elections to defeat the true left. So I know that happens, and and both parties do it, and I'm relying as much as anything on Greg Pallast and Lee Camp, who, I mean, if you look at how the votes are counted in this black box with an algorithm uh, that can't be verified, then you're going to be concerned about election integrity, and if you know both parties are involved with it, it's kind of a little bit, you know, confusing. Mm. So. Well, part of what I hear, Hart, is, the Trump administration brought 60, brought cases to 60 legal venues. And in 60 out of 60 legal venues, they were told, you don't have any claim here. Hmm. So that's the evidence that I see. That, and that's the evidence that that's what I hear brought up by some of Kyle Kalinske's you, mean, uh, you don't have standing to review. You don't have standing to sue. Therefore, we're not going to discuss the merits of the case. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, 
or you don't have a claim to oh. begin with. You don't have you know, like it was dismissed. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you for thank you for asking. My understanding is that they did have standing. Okay. That they were granted uh, status, or their the status of having standing was accepted, and in every single case, they were told uh, in layman's language, "There's nothing here. We're not going to look at it." Mm. Yeah. And so one of the things, and, and I, I'm with, with you as far as you're saying you only have limited time. We all have 24 hours a day. And, you know, what I struggle with is that when I talk to people who believe things such as that there was election fraud, even though there was only one person on the planet really telling them this, mm-hmm. and everyone else on the planet is saying that's not true, and who happen to be the same people who believe when one person says hydroxychloroquine works <laughs> and every doctor on the planet says it doesn't. So for me, uh, the challenge is, do I want to spend any time with these people in terms of po- political discussion, in terms of making a better world? Is it worth spending any time with them? Or is it worth just working with people who have some sanity to to counter people whose lives are devoted now they don't i, I except whose lives are devoted was, okay yeah sorry. yeah yeah so no i want to hear your hear what you have to say but uh yeah so i'm just saying that that's a, a struggle uh that's a struggle for me and uh just to give you some ammunition to come back against oh. me my, <laughs> my 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 experience is so that you can win our conversation oh no <laughs> um my experience has been no it's not worth it's not worth pretending that they have any rationality. Right. And I just want to be clear. I'm not saying they don't have humanity, right. that they're not people. Mm-hmm. But if for, my, for my, I'm thinking, should I spend time, just to put it concrete, should I spend 10 or 20 minutes you know, in conversation or even you know, some argumentation with this person? Or should I work with a client, make a few dollars, and send $25 to Amnesty International, you know, based on that time, something like that. So so something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that there's a world of difference between having two choices and having three choices. So, um, you know, the, the Trump voters as a group are wrong about some things and right about some other things. And it, but if there's no third choice, then you have to choose mm-hmm. between one or the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, Russiagate has been pushed by the Democratic establishment, and it's complete and pure fantasy. You know, Russians didn't at some level do something in, in the uh, 2016 election, but to say it was determinative is, is pure fantasy. And then and, and you have uh, people like uh, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC just nonstop Russiagate, Russia, 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 Russia. And and for that to be the alternative to, uh, you know, anyway. Yeah. So I'm just saying that there's oh, yeah. third view. And, and sometimes the third view is that neither Trump voters nor the Democratic establishment are right about some issues, you know. I couldn't agree more. That's, that's why I love stations like Forward Radio. Because, uh, yeah, because we have Rachel Maddow's and the MSNBCs who say, well, we can make money promoting a guy who we, you know, we might know he's fascist or terrible for America, but it's good for the bottom line. We don't do that at Forward Radio. You don't do that at Pacifica Radio, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I heard today, something I'd probably heard before, that 
the Podesta emails revealed that they, that Hillary and Podesta and the other wanted Trump to be the candidate because they thought they could beat him. And, right, right. Uh, so, <laughs> I uh, remember so those days. Plus, you know, Russiagate and, and calling Trump voters racist. I mean, there are some Trump voters that are racist and there are some that are not. And calling them all racist, it stems from a complete unwillingness of the Democratic establishment to have any capacity for self-examination or to do a post-mortem on 2016 and say, you know, why did we lose? Well, it's obviously not our fault. It's because of Russia and it's because mm. of, of racist rednecks, you know. That's, well, they that's the extent of the analysis. Mm -hmm. Well, they preferred Donald Trump to Bernie Sanders. Uh, absolutely. You couldn't agree more. Well, tell me more. I'm devil's advocate. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay. Well, they, both, they both are those that brought Trump into power. Anything's better than a black man or a white woman. And it doesn't even have to be white. She's a woman. So we have now the curtain has been pulled back. And yes, we are a racist country and we are a country of rampant mis misogyny that's the, that's the real fact but what is disturbing to me uh, and i have to say it has been better without the tweet <laughs> you know, i never liked the name of that anyway because i always think of tweet tweety birds and right, right. Birds. <laughs> but now this has just turned into it was a night i thought i, thought I put it that Yes, I thought I saw a putty cap, too. <laughs> but, you know, we've talked a lot about how words have... I did, I did call a putty cap. <laughs> uh, beep, beep. <laughs> we, you know, words have power, right? And we've had lots of discussion about how words have power. Yeah. And we have a president that was over and over and over telling people to drink the purple Kool-Aid of you are being screwed, you are being run over, uh, your rights, your entitled rights as a white person supersede any other need or any other uh, uh, dissertation of any kind. And there's only one way to go and that's the white way. So I really, and more, you know, looked at how could this have happened from a psychological point of view? Uh, because it is really when you look at the reviews of what happened last week and what people were saying, they truly believed that the election was stolen. And they were not willing to look at any facts um, or any counts, not really, because you could have had them there, look at this machine, look at these counts, look at how uh, the voters came in and voted. It wouldn't have made any difference because their leader, Donald J. Trump, produced a reality for them. And that reality was that they were being tricked that this election was fake. Coronavirus is fake, okay? Even in, uh, as the coffins are lining up, coronavirus I have one, is fake. I have a, one word response, NAFTA. 
you know, Trump got elected because he pushed back a little bit on NAFTA. Bill Clinton brought us NAFTA because George Bush couldn't do it. NAFTA laid waste to the Rust Belt and the people in the Rust Belt couldn't vote for a Clinton when a Clinton had brought them NAFTA, had gutted their communities, shipped their jobs overseas. And that's something you're not going to hear on MSNBC because it the orange man bad narrative. It's just a little different angle. There are people such as you are describing. And then there are other people who have legitimate grievances against the democratic establishment and they never get talked about because it doesn't fit the democratic narrative. Globalism has destroyed. There's, there's no doubt about that. It's destroyed microeconomies uh, literally all over the world. Having said that, lumping the responsibility for that onto one person doesn't get it either. Because one person? One leader, whether that's, whether that's Clinton, whether it's Obama, whether it's Bush, there's a whole lot of things and people and, and corporate entities that go into that pot. They didn't arbitrarily do that on their own and come up with NAFTA on their own. But uh, uh, I'm just saying I, I this is a factor. It's a factor in the election that never gets talked about mm. because it doesn't fit the the pro democratic narrative. Mm. Well, well, you guys said the c word, corporations. <laughs> yeah, we can't talk about them. <laughs> and I, I remember when um, Bill Clinton uh, was uh, pushed through the telecommunications bill of 1996. Oh yeah. Thus making it possible for Rush Limbaugh mm -hmm. and his corporate supporters uh, to, and, uh, to uh, well, to broadcast Rush's voice all over the country because now large corporations could buy up multiple radio stations, multiple TV stations, and combinations of the two in local markets. And so... Uh, when I think to myself, well, yes, of course, Bill Clinton was doing what the corporations he cared about told him to do. But yeah, it was amazing to me to watch Hillary Clinton uh, do her thing and to be thinking, yeah, well, uh, the most vociferous opposition to you in this country um, was created by you and your by your husband. Uh, he's the one who pushed through the telecommunications bill and behind both of them. The C word corporations. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I want to dive into that. But let me quickly remind our listeners that you're tuned into Forward Radio 106.5 FM. I'm Justin Mogg, one of the uh, co-hosts of Truth to Power. We gather after work on Friday to uh, have a freewheeling conversation about the events of the week. Joining me are Hart Hagen from The Climate Report, Jeanette Westbrook from The Human Factor, and Jeff Levy from a new program we're working on called Outbreak, the Science Policy and Treatment of Coronavirus. And... Uh, it, it is kind of funny that we, we started the conversation talking about how these alternate realities and alternate sets of facts. And in, in modern parlance right now, today, we're thinking about how social media causes that. But I like that we're, we're circling back to the 90s, pre-social media, 
And it was really Fox News that sort of innovated this whole this whole universe of uh, misinformation and, and and alternative facts. We didn't even have that phrase back then, but uh, and it, and it's part of a, a right wing media takeover. Uh, that started pre-social media and now I think has really uh, blossomed as the internet has has blossomed, right? And so there are these whole worlds of information unto themselves where we see things like QAnon conspiracy theories actually gaining enough traction with enough people to invade the U.S. Capitol. Um, and and corporations, as Jeff mentioned, are still are still in the background, still playing a role, but kind of a different one. So I, what I want to talk about now is uh, is the corporations that control our social media platforms and how much power we invest in them. Uh, obviously, we've seen the impact of people sort of using these platforms in creative ways, if you want to call it that. Uh, but is it okay for a corporation like Facebook or Twitter or any of the rest, to uh, pull the plug on an individual and, and, and deny them their First Amendment rights. Um, I think there's great arguments on both sides of this, but w- what do you all think about it? Well, why, well, do, think... why, do, why do the corporations own the—why don't the people own the, own yeah. the, uh, own the, um, the technology right. and if there's, the broadcasting? If there's instead, public broadcasting, how, how, can, there be, yeah. can there be public social media? Yeah. So, yeah. So why is why are those uh, as as your all's good friend Noam Chomsky said 15 or 18 years ago, when asked, you know, what do you think of the Internet? Is it going to, you know, create democracy or not? Pretty, uh, you know, black and white question. But he said, well, it depends who owns it. Mm. And corporations own it, right? Yeah, it's not. Is it thought of as a public utility even? <laughs> I mean, the yeah, FCC... corporations own the public utilities. Yeah. And the FCC right regulates us here on Forward Radio and the FM dial, but uh, <laughs> who's regulating the social media other than the corporations? Well, you've right. answered your own uh, question there because it is uh, about the money. Follow the money. And so uh, what they have done is taken a mad dog and uh, fed him and let him, you know, <laughs> run untethered. And then when they tried to put a leash on him, and to pull him back in, he turned around and bit them. <laughs> okay, so, um, you you know, there's some questions. Do, do you let a, a president who functions like Jim Jones and that has uh, followers not unlike Jim Jones um, that are willing to give their lives? Right. Because um, that's clearly what they were willing to do last week. Um, to, to give their lives in um, uh, that effort of, of that leader. And so how much are we being controlled by corporate media? I would say quite a bit, mm. quite a bit. And I'll just speak for myself. I'm from the pre-internet world and the pre-social media world. So I have perhaps um, a little bit more resistance uh, to that and not dependent on just one source for my uh, information and not dependent on just one voice and not dependent on one party. 
Well, it's funny because I think the internet was supposed to be the opposite, right? Like, and and platforms like Facebook even are supposed to be a way for you to access all of the information, get lots of different viewpoints. Everybody can be a broadcaster, right? Uh, But it doesn't end up working that way because of the advertising that drives it all and the algorithms that exist because of the advertising, right? And also because the big tech companies are in bed with the government. If the government tells them to do something, then they're inclined to go along with that. I mean, it's not as if they're completely independent. Um, but, you know, take, okay, so one critical fact, if I had, like, if, if I could make everybody understand, like, three to five things, one of the top things on the list would be how... Uh, you know, taxpayer money is used to enrich the rich, but partly because of the development of technology. So us, our parents, our grandparents for decades spent money, you know, we paid our taxes and then the Pentagon spent money to develop technology. And then, you know, it wasn't until about 1975 that that technology was marketable to the public. And you have every major component of your iPhone was developed at ta- by the government at taxpayer expense. And yet we don't get the profits from that and we don't get the uh, control of those technologies. So that's one thing. And it would be appropriate. So why is Facebook so big? It's because of something called a network effect. If you have uh, like telephones, if you want to be talk to other people that have telephones, you have to have a telephone. So it's not, you know, it's, it's something that where the more people are added to the network, the more valuable the network becomes. And that's one characteristic of a natural monopoly is that bigger tends to be better if you have a natural monopoly. If you go back into classical economics, they thought that natural monopolies should be publicly owned. Mm. So we have natural monopolies like Facebook and Twitter that are instead privately owned. And one upshot of that is that it's a complete like black box mystery as to how they make decisions as to who gets deplatformed and who doesn't. So it's not as if we can go to court and decide who gets their free speech rights and whose free speech rights are curtailed because there's another interest in play. It's like Twitter deplatforms somebody because they feel like it and they might give, but the people that are making these decisions are completely unaccountable to the public. And Hart, as you said, it's publicly funded. The public funds the R&D that leads to these tech companies. Then the tech companies and Mark Zuckerberg and his buddies uh, make the profit. Yeah, there's this, uh, Rob Larson is this economist who has a video that says, uh, um, the uh, capitalism didn't invent the iPhone, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not all for name calling. I'm just repeating what somebody else said. You know? <laughs> but capitalism did not invent the iPhone. Pri- free f- enterprise did not invent the iPhone. And so this, the technologies like this are a way to enrich, uh, enrich the very rich and give them control over our public discourse. So, so, so is it is it a solution then to create to expand? I suppose the FCC's uh, authorities over the internet. I mean, to me, that seems a little bit moving in the direction of an authoritarian regime, because uh, you know I don't necessarily love the FCC or trust the FCC, right? Yeah. Uh, and do we want you know, uh, government control of what can and can't be shared on online. Uh, and, and if not that, then 
how do we get how do we rein in <laughs> the insanity we see uh, online today? Okay, so well, I, I would like to say that you missed one thing when we were talking about all of this is the role of organized crime in social media hmm. and, and Facebook and YouTube, which are both used for human trafficking uh, extensively. Right. The billions that are being made on pornography, mm-hmm. which has fully moved uh, from back in the day where it was on uh, VHS tape yeah. and all of that. And now you're two clicks away. Yeah. You're two clicks away from purchasing or viewing a child being raped lifetime, literally. So there is billions and billions of dollars that is being extracted. Uh, from uh, not only our society, but from societies all over the world. And that money is going straight into the hands of organized crime. So where is the role of, of the FCC and our government and everyone else to say uh, enough is enough? So we said enough is enough to Donald Trump because he's <laughs> inciting insurrection and violence okay but it's interesting they haven't said enough is enough when it comes to the trafficking and literally wholesale you know things that are happening Mm. um with regard to uh human trafficking and no it's not in a pizza parlor type of thing (laughs) okay so it is censoring organized crime a crime it's all organized crime, Jeanette. <laughs> so, so what to do about Facebook? It's like, for one thing, why should, uh, why should there be billionaires? Why should any person or company, you know, there needs to be a limit on how big a company can get. Mm, I that, like that, that's yeah. one thing. I mean, it, it, capital is like a, a, a tiger. If it's a cub, it is, as long as it's small, it's harmless and cute. <laughs> and then, but then, then it gets big and, it, and, it, and it'll rip you to shreds. So there needs to be a limit on the size of companies. There needs to be a, a strong presumption that Facebook should not be able to buy WhatsApp or Instagram, a strong presumption that you cannot buy out your competition. And any president has the authority without Congress to start to enforce our antitrust laws. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I think even worse than the Facebook takeovers and the social media, Amazon. I mean, mm-hmm, yeah. a- Amazon has got its tentacles and everything now down to like, you know, running servers that government de- and military depend upon. Right. Absolutely. Right. Multi million dollar contracts with the CIA. And, and so they're they're in bed together. They've got common interests together when the CIA says do this or that Amazon responds. And when Amazon says do this or that the CIA responds. And, um, are you saying, so, is that the question who's running our government? Right. Well, it's the United corporations of America. <laughs> Supposedly in school, we learn how government works, but they don't tell us how the, that, you know, no matter who you vote for, they go to Washington DC and they get funded and influenced by the biggest corporations. So, and, and that to me is a area of common interest that is, uh, that is taboo to talk about in corporate media. And what I mean is I, I can understand, I think why, why those, the people who, 
attacked the Capitol. And even though I'm Jewish, I saw I'm Jewish. I saw guys there who, you know, had T-shirts on that were making fun of Auschwitz yeah. death camp and all that. Boy, kind that of was thing. disturbing. Um, you know, I don't like that. I, I don't like that. But yeah, of course they're angry. Look at what neoliberal economics. Look what, at what the Clinton, Bush, Obama administration did to them over the last 12 to 16 years. Their lives have not gotten better, and their explanations and understanding of why is very one-sided. In other words, because, uh, at least statistically, they have racist tendencies, uh, they're, going to blame, uh, they're going to blame Obama. Um, but uh, what if he had provided universal health care? What if Clinton had actually pr- helped work to provide universal health care hmm. and uh, job programs and on and on? Well, they'd have a whole lot less. There would be a whole lot less fuel for their uh, for their uh, irrationality and anger to work on. So I, I can understand why they're mad. They they don't understand why they're mad. But I think we can all understand uh, why they're mad. And um, I would say, you know, I've read dozens of studies indicating that, for instance, uh, racism uh, and narcissism by themselves predict support for Donald Trump by themselves. But even if that's true, look at all the fuel that they have to work on. So, again, it gets back to the Democratic establishment and the, the corporations and uh, and, and that kind of thing. And they have so little choice. They have I mean, so little choice. Yeah, Clinton's yeah. own supporters named five of his accomplishments. I, I, I've got four of them here. Like Clinton's biggest accomplishments, NAFTA, the Communications Act of 1996, prison reform, and welfare reform, and one that escapes my mind, but they're all Republican accomplishments. In fact, the Republicans are envious that they didn't accomplish these things when they were in office. And, and that's, that's the choice that we have. And, and do, do one of you wonderful people, I don't, I don't want to tell the secret, do one of you wonderful people want to uh, discuss where the structure for Obamacare was created? Uh, let me guess, uh, the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, so it was created at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, with, yeah, a right-wing think tank. That's interesting, Jeff, what you were talking about. What if they had gotten universal health care? What if they had gotten all of the things you had just talked about? But those are the same things that are being fed to them as socialist and communist. Yes, they, I totally, yeah, they, they are being told that they're socialist and, and communist. And that those are the sorts of things that uh, instead of um, instead of working on creating more understanding and um, giving people the opportunity to uh, experience what it what it's like to not have your health care premiums go up every year. Um, essentially, um, the the Democratic uh, establishment said, yeah, well, we're not going to do those, those communist socialist things. We're going to do, you know, the right thing, meaning we're going to make sure. And I remember uh, Zeke Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel's nicer brother. Uh, Zeke Emanuel is a economist at Harvard, and he worked with the Obama administration. He said at least once that 
yeah, at the end, um, we kind of, we realized we had to figure out a way to let corporations uh, make money off this. And I kind of, and I regret that. That's how he said it. We had to figure out a way to, to let our insurance corporations make money off this. And I regret it. So um, again, yeah, I think that for people who are rational at all and, you know, even minimally rational, I, I think it, it is so easy to look at those people at the, at the uh, Capitol and I do it too, and just, you know, condemn them and uh, think that they're crazy, but they're not just crazy. <laughs> and, and the, they're, and they're the, more than crazy. <laughs> they're more than crazy. But yeah. But the, but, the, but, but the Democrats are Republicans too. So anyway, well, Jeff, Jeff, you're, you're right. I mean, uh, they, uh, I, I, I have some empathy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were led to uh, an incl- a conclusion that is uh, never going to work well for them. Okay, and they are told that universal health care will not work well for them. Um, they are told that things like uh, a universal minimum wage of $15 an hour is communist and anti-American. And they are told that their jobs are leaving because of immigrants and refugees. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're told a, a litany of, uh, of lies that just simply are not true. But you're right, Jeff. They were blindsided. All of these changes came very rapidly and no one bothered to tell them what was going to happen or what this would mean. And so as factories started closing, as unions were decimated, um, that basically were their voices, um, as all of that happened to them, they were looking for someone, anything, somebody, to explain to them what had happened to them. And first, it was the right-wing media that did the job of explaining it, of explaining that too. Okay, I think you're saying you're saying that beautifully. I think I really, I, I think you are. Thank you. You're, you're describing the situation from as far as I can tell, describing their situation, and then, okay, yeah, you're a working person. You don't have time to to sit around and you know study everything about the economy. So you go, you know, it makes sense. Let's go to a leader or a you know, a respected person yeah. to, to tell, tell me, help me, help me understand this. I think you said it great. And, and Donald Trump did a fantastic job of explaining to them, well, giving them reasons. Uh, speaking of leaders uh, and Trump, of course, takes all the oxygen right now, but there are some other things in the news this week that are worth discussing. And let me quickly remind you that you're listening to Truth to Power here on Forward Radio. I'm Justin Mogg, and joining me around the virtual microphone for conversations about the week's events are Hart Hagen from The Climate Report, Jeanette Westbrook from The Human Factor, and Jeff Levy from Outbreak, The Science, Policy, and Treatment of Coronavirus. Some chickens came home to roost this week uh, in the Flint water crisis up in Michigan. Remember about seven years ago when 12 people died and at least 80 people were sickened uh, by Legionnaire's disease and then uh, poisoning of uh, lead leaching from 
old pipes because the powers that be decided it would be okay to try switching sources of water for the people of Flint in order to, of course, save money. And this week, Michigan's attorneys general uh, announced on Thursday criminal charges for eight former state officials, including the state's former governor, Rick Snyder, along with one current official for their alleged roles in this crisis. Uh, And Snyder was a Republican who left office two years ago and is facing two counts of willful neglect. Um, And, you know, I was gratified to see that, you know, justice coming. Is it swift enough? I I don't know. And is it, will the punishment fit the crime? We'll we'll wait and see. Uh, But this is kind of rare to see in America, right? Right. And it's my understanding that, uh, well, there's an independent journalist named uh, Jordan Sheridan, who I think has done a lot of good investigative reporting on Flint, um, to give him a little credit. But other than that, I know almost nothing about, about the situation, except I want to point out the, you know, the, where was Obama? Yeah. Uh, where was Biden? Obama went to Flint drank a water out of a glass Mm -hmm. made a big show out of drinking water out of a glass as if nothing and said you know i probably chewed paint when i was young and people some of the people were just flabbergasted it's like here here's we're we're relying on you to do something and for whatever reason you end up doing nothing and Mm. laughing about it and making a show over look i can drink the water it must be okay Hmm. i i see uh uh, this attempt at accountability as I smell fall guy, uh, because there were a lot more people involved in what happened in Flint, Michigan, and uh, those companies and stockholders um, that had their foot in the municipal uh, water system, the water company there, um, you know, how do we save money? Yeah. And what and what can we do since, you know, this community over here, which is largely a ghetto and poor uh, and decimated, why don't we do something like change what happens with their water uh, so that our uh, stockholders will be happy and they'll continue to make uh, money? So I think there is uh, a lot of blame for those that fed the governmental leadership uh, lies and and the facts and didn't fully tell them what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, we all like the idea, Oh, saving money. That's good. We should seek ways to save money. But what we're really talking about here is better lining the pockets. Profiteering. Yeah. Profiteering. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So the Flint river has been an industrial sewer for a long time. And they were getting their water from another source, and then they decided to get their water from Flint River. And that's that's one issue. Another issue is whether or not they could uh, put in phosphorus, which uh, lines the pipes and makes it protective so the pipes wouldn't emit lead. And, and then another issue is like alternative uses for the water. Like, is the water going to be used for agricultural purposes, for mining and fracking? And where are we going to get the water for the mining and fracking, which you don't have, doesn't have to be suitable for human consumption versus where are we going to get the water that's suitable for human consumption? 
And I'm not sure, there's several puzzle pieces there that I don't quite know how they fit together. Well, maybe it was, we needed to just move those people away. Right. Okay, and and uh, maybe we need to brownfield mm. uh, their communities. I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's disturbing when when authorities feel like they can play games with the lives of people, but we see it all the time. Whether it's you know Breonna Taylor's lives or, or the life of the people in Flint, Michigan, it it happens all the time with uh, uh, the structural racism that's embedded in our society. And we've seen, I mean, twenty twenty one was such a huge lesson in that. But I don't want to end in a you know another terrible note. So let's end on a a pretty bright note from the week on Monday. The Des Moines, Iowa City Council voted unanimously in favor of a resolution setting a goal of reaching 24/7 carbon-free electricity by 2035, which isn't that long from now, making it probably the first city in the U.S. and maybe the first in the world to pass a plan that emphasizes a target of relying solely on clean energy around the clock. That is pretty amazing. So they're not just saying, like Metro Louisville did, that we want to be sort of net zero. Uh, but they're actually saying we want to invest in the ability to generate renewable energy enough for our city 24-7. Hart, you brought this story to the table today so share what's your reaction uh i have a a, a counter uh I, I i'm I, i'm in a small minority of environmentalists I, I i'm not big into pushing solar and wind and battery storage because i see the side effects of these things i believe we need to reduce the economy by half and mm. reduce the the energy consumption by half, and we can get rid of the economy that has no positive effect on regular people. So I'm very skeptical about this. It's interesting to me that um, that the solutions, that the climate solutions that get pushed, the ones that are profitable, and the climate solutions that get forgotten are the ones that are not profitable for big business. We're talking about Iowa. Iowa has gone from seven to four congressional districts. Iowa has experienced a mass exodus because family farmers have been pushed out. Iowa is the, the, the center. It is, Iowa is the a location for a great number of concentrated animal feeding operations, oh, yeah. which are hugely polluting and carbon intensive. We're, so we're, we're not going to, so this Des Moines, Iowa, we're going to do this clean energy thing. We're going to talk about solar power and wind power, and we're going to talk about uh, storage of, uh, you know, which takes lithium, but we're not going to talk about transportation and we're not going to talk about farming. In Iowa, we're not going to talk about farming and the impact that it has on carbon and environment and people's lives. And uh, Justin, you've said that, you know, there's so much you can do in, uh, in the environmental world and in sustainability, but think about how you're going to get your food and where you're going to, and, and how you're going to get around. Uh, Iowa could, and instead of using all of the land to grow corn that's not even used for food much of it's used for ethanol some of it's used for animal feed some of it's used for high fructose corn syrup <laughs> there are these monocultures that destroy the pollinators destroy the water put a lot of carbon and nitrous oxide into the air and methane and we're not going to talk about any of that but we're going to talk about how we can buy more lithium-ion batteries from tesla mm. 
Great point, Hart. I thought we were going to end on a positive note, man. <laughs> I, I felt bad when you said that. I really did. I, I can tell from the I can tell from the smile on your face that you are feeling very bad about that. <laughs> oh, Hart. Well, you guys, oh. I, say, uh, I agree with with much of what uh, Hart uh, just said. I think uh, less is more. We need to yeah. stop buying, using up, build, tearing down trees, kill, killing bees. That um, I, I agree with that. That that it, this isn't. We're not going to be able to use renewable energy out of this uh, all the way. We're just we're just not going to. But on a uh, high note, that Justin is uh wanting us uh... <laughs> please save us Jeanette <laughs> okay uh that uh hey um uh, Jeff I hope you can uh chime in on this that uh February uh 1st uh many of us will be able to get the coronavirus vaccine oh yeah so I am really really hopeful and excited about that I mean, I know it won't be the end of social distancing, masking, et cetera, et cetera, but it is, um, you know, we'll be on our way once uh, we get enough people vaccinated to stamp out this virus. Can you extrapolate? Am, am I excited? for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to come up with something clever so that you freaked out and, and stuff, that crazy stuff like that, just because... I'm an immature person, but that's the real answer. <laughs> the real, the real answer is, yeah, of course you're right on track. I mean, in many ways, this is going to be very useful. You know, if we had, uh, as uh, as your good friend uh, Ashish Jha of, of Harvard pointed out months ago, if we actually had a working government and a, and a national public health system uh, where uh, everything in a crisis can be coordinated from Washington, mm. just just like in a military crisis. Well, uh, my in 2016, uh, I took a poster to the United Nations. And down the side, you know, T equals tyranny, R equals racist, U equals un-American, M equals misogynist and B <laughs> equals pig. What's that spell? And, and all of that has come true. And so it's not that I jump on the wagon early enough, but you are absolutely right, Jeff, for no other reason. I have called Donald J. Trump the killer clown all this time, yeah. these four years. Well, and come true because he literally has killed hundreds of thousands of people because we haven't had a plan of action because his narrative is it's fake uh, I got it supposedly and I survived it and and nothing happened to me don't be, don't be afraid of it just keep on going out there and you know all of those uh, horrible anti-masking narratives all of those types of things so um, well, I'm very happy that yeah, no we problem. don't have Twitter. 
Donald J. Trump's Twitter. Well, well, you know, Jeanette, in 2018, a group of military, public health, medical, and legal experts uh, brought information to Donald Trump. Uh, this was a group that had been uh, created and assembled originally by Barack Obama. And they brought information to Donald Trump. Uh, bottom line, some sort of coronavirus pandemic is something we can uh, expect to happen oh, yeah. uh, with, within the short term. So he fired everybody right. or had Don, John Bolton fire everybody. And uh, so uh, he that alone put the United States, uh, let's say, six months behind. Uh, at the same time, um, and, and he did everything uh, for somebody. If you wanted to demonstrate that you couldn't care less about your constituents, he did everything right. Donald mm. Trump did. He let people die and he lied and all that. At the same time, uh, other countries like Britain and Canada actually have a coordinated national public health care system. So when the when uh, excuse me, when vaccines do start to get rolled out, at least there's the potential for them to be rolled out in a consistent uh, and an egalitarian sane way. Uh, we we have a system where at best we have 50 state systems, 50 each state has its own system. And when vaccines arrive, a governor whether it's a Republican or a Democratic governor suddenly has to either figure out how to be a public health expert <laughs> or suddenly find lots of public health experts. And, and I don't wish that upon it, you know, any governor. It's going to be hard to do that, even with the best intention. So, you know, I think it's kind of clear that it's a combination of the fact that Donald Trump became president at the worst possible time, if you want to save corona lives from coronavirus. And it's also he inherited a system uh, that is uh, that is tremendously unworkable if you care about public health. And that has led to the perfect storm. And we're seeing today a 9-11 you know, level of death on American soil every day now because of the pandemic, right? Um, even, even with the sure, optimism... Barack. Yeah. Oh, even if with the optimism around the vaccine, I mean, we we can't take our eye off the ball here and and realize how deadly this is right now. Yeah, just absolutely. And you... Public health and poverty kill more. Public health or lack thereof, and poverty and social diseases uh, kill more people than war. And I hate to admit that because I hate war. But you know, public health is so vital to people's actual health. And it, you know, we do well to pay attention to public health and uh, pay a lot less attention to trying to dominate the world. You know. I have deep sorrow uh, for our country that's had a president that really didn't care about our public health and, and was willing to let hundreds of thousands of Americans needlessly perish because of lack of leadership and to me, more than anything else, we were stormed. Our society has been stormed by uh, Donald J. Trump's inaction on the coronavirus, mm -hmm. which has become which has become more deadly even than what we saw last week. 
Well, no matter what happens, uh, community media will be here to cover it and to provide a different perspective than you're getting anywhere else on your dial. That's what we do here each week on Truth to Power. Any uh, In our last couple minutes here, anything anyone wanted to throw in uh, to wrap up the show? Listen to Forward Radio and get your information and your news from truth-based sources. Everybody has a bias. Nobody's perfect. But we don't have an agenda other than just to share what we know, whereas the corporate media, they have an agenda. It's to make a profit for their shareholders. It's to make a, it's to collect a lot of money from their sponsors. When you get your information from that, it's just going to be distorted uh, in a pro-commercial bias. So yeah. you're, at, you're listening to the right place. You're <laughs> listening to the right source. Well, that reminds me that I want Hart Hagen to have a show of his own. He does. He does. <laughs> oh, what would be the name of it? The every, Climate Report. Every day at 7 here on Forward Radio, you can hear it. And, Jeff, I hope you're, you're, you're making progress on your program. I look forward to hearing it. Jeff Levy, uh, future host of Outbreak, the Science, Policy, and Treatment of Coronavirus. We thank you for joining us this week. And thanks again to Jeanette Westbrook from The Human Factor. It's always great to have your perspective on the show. Jeanette. Hey, it is always my pleasure, Justin. And uh, interfacing with colleagues at Forward Radio, it doesn't get better than that, except when we hear from the listeners That's right. uh, all across our listening area. And uh, again, uh, reiterating what Justin said, we're throwing out opportunity here for you too out there in the listening community to become a part of uh, Forward Radio. You don't have to have your own program, but you can certainly support Ford Radio. You can become a guest on some of the many programs at Forward Radio. Uh, there's many ways for you to participate in this most quintessential of all American things, which is radio. Thank you, Jeanette, for that. Go to forwardradio.org to become a part of it and tune in again in one week's time to hear more from us and our community conversation here on Truth to Power. Be well, everyone.